You know, we've returned from the feast. Last year we kept the holy days, and the Feast of Tabernacles was really the highlight of the year as it is every year. We picture the plan of God as we go through these holy days every year. But once you've been to the mountaintop, to the Feast of Tabernacles, the last great day, then where do we go from there? It's 12 months until we go back to the feast again. You might want to think about how you're going to use the next 12 months. Will you be the same person that goes to the feast next year that you were this year? Or will you grow in the next 12 months? The next 12 months give us an opportunity to kind of examine ourselves and identify areas of our life where we may need to grow and change. What I'd like to do in the sermon today is discuss a very critical area that we may want to focus on individually. It's not something I can do for you or you can do for me. It's something that we have to work with God on and work together with God on. Have you ever considered what kind of heart you have? Have you ever thought about what kind of heart do you have? If someone could look into your heart, what would they see? You might want to think about that. How would someone who knows you very well describe your heart? You know, as I was putting the sermon together a number of weeks ago, out of curiosity, I thought, I'm going to get on the Internet and look up song titles that have heart in the title. I was surprised what I found. I got to about 500, and I stopped counting. I figured I had enough information. (laughs) It was interesting. Some of the song titles that mention the heart. One title was Heart of Stone. Another title was A Heart of Gold. We heard in the sermonette about building materials. Some are gold, some are silver, some are wood, hay, and stubble. How would you describe your heart? Heart of stone, heart of gold. Some of these titles you'll recognize, Heartaches by the Number, Your Cheating Heart. (laughs) Another one, A Broken Heart. Another one, An Unbreakable Heart. Another one was called a bulletproof heart. I'd like to hear that song. Be interesting. <laughs> Another title, Hard Hearted Hannah. Must be an interesting person to me. A heavy heart, a lonely heart, young at heart. Another title was called The Haunted Heart. That was last night. <laughs> A Wild Heart, A Restless Heart. Rod Stewart did a song back in the 60s entitled A Rebel Heart. A Rebel Heart. Is that you? Is that me? Some other songs, A Bleeding Heart, A Frozen Heart, My Burning Heart. (laughs) An Empty Heart, A Homeless Heart. Has no place to go. A Heart Like a Hurricane. I wonder if that person would have an interesting conversation with hard-hearted Hannah. (laughs) 
Now, this one must have come from Texas. It was entitled, A Heart with Four-Wheel Drive. <laughs> or for you electricians, a nine-volt heart. It probably runs on a battery. <laughs> Music of my heart, pain in my heart, a grief-stricken heart. Two interesting titles. One title says, My Heart Goes Boom. And the other title was, My Heart Stood Still. Another title was, If I Only Had a Heart. You probably remember the song, Love Me With All Your Heart. Paul Anka did a song, or at least this was in one of his lyrics, All of a Sudden, My Heart Sings. It begins to sing. Just a couple more titles to begin to focus the sermon. Perry Como did a song entitled, Look Into Your Heart. Look into your heart. An artist by the name of Jerry Vale back in the 60s did a song entitled, Have You Looked Into Your Heart? Have you looked into your heart? There's another song title I came across that said, I can read your heart. You know, if God looks into your heart, if he looks into my heart, what does he see? What does God want to see when he looks into our hearts? You know, what should our hearts be focused on if we want to please God? And I think everybody here wants to please God. Does it really matter what God sees when he looks into your heart? I think we'll see in the sermon it really, it really does matter. I've entitled the sermon, A Godly Heart. A Godly Heart. You know, if each of us focuses on what is in our heart over the next 12 months, and compares what's in our heart with what's in the scriptures. Here, we're going to be different people when we go to the feast next year. That God can work with, he can mold and fashion. And if we're building with gold and silver and precious stones, pure things in our heart, God's going to be able to work with us and use us in an incredible way. Let's talk about the heart a little bit from the scriptures, find out what God has to say about the heart. You know, when the Bible uses the term heart, it's really talking about what's in your mind. What's in your mind, how you think. It's talking about your heart, your thoughts and your actions. And it's talking about thoughts and actions that determine who you are as a person. We can have a godly heart or we can have a heart of stone. We can have all kinds of hearts. But it's talking about a person's basic motivations and their major priorities. What do you really focus on? And these are things we can think about over the coming year. The Bible reveals some things about the heart. You know, when I was in college, I took a psychology course. And I think I don't remember much of what I learned. You know, psychology is a study of the human mind, how it works, how it functions. But all I remember from the psychology course was about Pavlov's, Pav, yeah, Pavlov's dogs, that they were conditioned to ring a bell and salivate. But there's a lot more to psychology. There's a lot more to understanding the human mind. You know, I think I really began to understand human behavior when I came into the church of God and began to read the scriptures and read what the Bible actually says about the human heart. 
The psychology course really didn't do it. If you turn to Proverbs chapter 23, Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7, God gives us an insight, reveals an insight as to how the mind works and how that influences our actions, our beliefs, our thoughts. Proverbs 23, verse 7, just breaking into that, it says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, as a person thinks in their heart, as they think in their mind, you know, our thoughts determine who we are. You know, if we're selfish, if we're outgoing, if we're humble, if we're vain, these thoughts determine our actions. And people get to see who we are. But the Bible revealed this, you know, 2,500 years ago, almost 3,000 years ago, before we had a science of psychology. As we think in our heart, this is who we are. Proverbs 27, verse 19. God has revealed these things to us so that we can begin to understand who we are. Proverbs 27, verse 19. It says, as in water, face reveals face. In other words, when you look into a pool of water, if there's no ripples on the surface, it reflects your face, reflects who you are. As in water, face reveals face, so a man's or a woman's heart, so a person's heart reveals the person. You know, do we look into the mirror and really ask ourselves, who are you? <laughs> person's looking out at you. The Bible says that as water reveals a face, so a person's heart, how you think, reveals who you are. And you might ask yourself, maybe listen to your, yourself, what do you talk about when you're talking with other people? What do you talk about? Listen to yourself next time and kind of step aside and listen to the conversation as you're talking. Do you talk about yourself? What do you think about? When you're thinking, what do you think about? How do you use your time? Does it glorify God or is it something that you want to do? What do you read? Because what you put in will eventually come out in some way. What do you watch on television? Again, it's just what goes in will come out later. Who are your authorities? Who do you listen to? You can learn a lot about people when they talk about who their authority is that they quote or that they listen to. It tells you, you know, people, and it should tell you something about yourself. What is the major priority in your life? Is it to please God? Is it to please yourself? Is it to please others? Do you stand firmly for what you believe or do you go with the flow? See, all these things can tell us something about ourselves and also tells God something about us. So God gives us information about ourselves in the scriptures. There are also some very interesting admonitions about the heart. Let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 5. 
Another insight into the human heart, really an insight into the human mind. The latter part of that verse, it says, A wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. A wise person will be able to discern what's appropriate and what's inappropriate, what's right and what's wrong. A discerning person, a wise person discerns what's right, what's wrong, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, what's appropriate dress, what's appropriate conversation, what's appropriate conduct. A wise person's heart will be able to do that. The challenge is, how do you become wise? How do you become wise? God tells us in Proverbs chapter uh, 9 and verse 10, one of these places where it talks about becoming wise, the path to wisdom, the keys to gaining wisdom. Proverbs 9 and verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the starting point. On the path to wisdom is the fear of the Lord. You fear God. You don't want to take anything for granted that he says. You don't play games with the scriptures. You want to do exactly what God says to do. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the holy, knowledge of God's way, knowledge of God's plan and purpose, Knowledge of God's laws is understanding. That's the basis for understanding. And so God gives us some very powerful keys. And we read in Ecclesiastes 8.5 that a wise person's heart discerns what's right and wrong. It discerns what's appropriate and inappropriate. And we can grow in wisdom if we focus on fearing God. Whatever God says, we want to do that. And a knowledge of the holy, the knowledge of God's plan and purpose and his laws and his ways is the basis for understanding. You understand how everything fits together. You understand, you begin to understand Bible prophecy. You begin to understand a lot of things. As I mentioned, I took a psychology course in college. It was kind of interesting. We studied various things. But I didn't gain an understanding of human behavior until... You know, I came into the church and began to understand the Bible. And then an awful lot of things began to make sense. Your world affairs began to make sense when you begin to understand Bible prophecy. And you begin to understand the motives of people when you understand how the human mind actually works. Some warnings that we find in Scripture. Proverbs 28. Warnings about the human heart. that We've got to be careful. with our thoughts and with our feelings. Proverbs 28, verses 25 and 26. says, He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Well, here's what I think. When we hear that coming out of our mouth, we better think, let's, let, I better be careful here. <laughs> because God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your thoughts are not mine. So he's telling us, be careful. 
whenever you hear yourself saying, well, here's what I think. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. That's why Proverbs says there's safety in a multitude of counsel. There's safety in a multitude of counsel. You get input. You don't fear input. You seek input. Latter part of verse 26, whoever walks wisely, walking wisely, will be delivered you know, from trials and tribulations and so on. Again, we just talked about walking wisely is to fear God, to want to do things his way, to have a heart that really seeks God. Proverbs 14, verse 12. <clears throat> Again, another admonition, another warning about the human heart. Proverbs 14, verse 12. <clears throat> it says, There is a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but its end is the way of death. Well, you know, it seemed right to me. I didn't see any problem with that. When we start thinking that way, we've really got to be careful. There's a way that seems right. I may have made a comment a number of times over the years. If you've never deceived yourself, then you've really never lived. If you've never deceived yourself, then really you're living in la-la land. Now, I've deceived myself, and I've judged from the comments and the smiles that I see here. You, you know what I'm talking about. You think you're so right, and then all of a sudden you hit this brick wall, and you realize... I wasn't so right after all. But God was trying to tell us this 3,000 years ago. There's a way that seems right to a human being, but, there's, but the end of that is going to turn out not the way that you anticipated. In Proverbs chapter 12, final admonition here, verses 13 through 16. Proverbs 12. <clears throat> let's, let's start in verse 15. And 16 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Now, none of us want to be fools. But we've got to come to the point where we're willing to ask for advice and seek input and look for God's guidance as revealed in the Scriptures. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he or she who heeds counsel is wise, who listens to advice. The fool's wrath is known at once. Boom! You just explode. God says a fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent person covers shame or overlooks an insult. Overlooks an insult. You're patient. You're understanding. You understand that God says, I'll run interference for you. I'll take care of things if you are accused wrongly. You just trust in me. Let me take care of it. So these are admonitions about the human heart that we, we really need to understand. There's one other scripture that may be out of, uh, of style today, but it's still in the scriptures. We used to refer to this years ago, but it's still there. It hadn't changed. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. And it means what it says. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things. You know, somebody wrote that song, You're Cheating Heart describing activities and actions. But God says the human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
And what it's talking about is a heart that is influenced by the pulls and the cares of this world and is not being guided by God's Spirit. And we've got to recognize we all have those pulls. We all face temptations, and Satan will work on all of us, and he knows what our buttons are that he can he'll, he'll like to push, get us upset, get us stirred up or whatever, cause us to react. We all need to understand we've got these capabilities as human beings. And if we're not alert, if we're not watching, we're not sensitive, we can be pulled off in different directions. Again, I've used this example a number of times. One Friday evening, we're talking with our boys in the basement of our house up in Massachusetts. We're walking up the stairs. You know, and one boy was a little bit behind the other one on the stairs, and I heard this, oh! And I asked one of the boys, he was right behind me, I said, why did you kick your brother in the stomach? He said, I just felt like it. <laughs> I just felt like it. So he turned around and kicked him in the stomach. <laughs> and I thought, okay, this is a teachable moment. Put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, why did you kick your brother? He said, well, I felt like it. I said, where do you think that thought came from to kick your brother? Did it come from God? Or did it come from someplace else? I said, where did that thought come from? He said, I think I know. <laughs> I said, good. I said, one of the challenges in life is we've got to recognize where thoughts come from. Just because it comes into your mind doesn't mean that you should do it. Because Satan broadcasts. He broadcasts ideas. He broadcasts emotions. He broadcasts feelings. You know, they kicked you in the shins. You need to kick them back. Don't let them get away with that. Yeah, I'm going to kick them. But Christians can't function that way. But people that are not after God's own heart will function that way. You know, several weeks ago, before the feast, there were lines at gas pumps. And I remember reading a couple of things in the paper where fights broke out at the gas pump because somebody cut in line and some of the other people were waiting for half an hour, an hour, two hours, whatever. And they were letting somebody else know they didn't appreciate that. I'm going to pound the daylights out of them. Where do those thoughts come from? Well, everybody else does it. But that's what the Scripture's talking about. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. We've got to recognize where thoughts come from so that our hearts can be after God's own heart. But the Scripture's there. A heart that is not guided by God's Spirit and by the Scriptures is going to react certain ways and do certain things. And you'll tell yourself, because I've done this, and there's a number of you have already done it too, you just thought you were right. You didn't see anything wrong with what you were doing until later it comes out and you realize, man, did I blow it. I was really off base. I didn't see it. I didn't see it coming. So these are things that the Bible tells us about the human heart that we need to understand. We really do. Is God concerned about what's in your heart? Does he care? Is he concerned about what's in your heart? Does he care? And I want to focus for just a little bit on an aspect of God that we don't talk very much about, yet it was mentioned in the sermonette. You know, for many people, God is love and God is understanding and God is merciful and God is patient and God just you know, puts up with an awful lot of things because he loves us. And yet we're here in Jeremiah. Notice what verse 10 says. 
It says, I, the Lord, search the heart, and I test the mind. I examine the heart very carefully, and I test the mind, even to give every man or every person according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. In other words, God lets us reap what we sow, not because he's mean, but because he wants us to learn lessons. And if we make a mistake, a lot of times we have to pay certain penalties. And hopefully we can learn from that. God does forgive and he does forget. But you know, David committed adultery. And God said, the sword will not depart from your house. Now David repented heartfeltly, but he had a son that killed another son and a son that uh, violated a, a, a sister and a son that tried to take over the empire from David. He repented. He changed. But God said, you know, you're going to have to reap certain consequences. See, God is telling us here, I test the heart and I try the reins and give to everyone according to their ways. You have to reap in some kind, sometimes the, the consequences. Now, in some cases, God does deliver people. You know, Ahab was a wicked king. Yet he did repent, and God gave him some space. You know, consequences came later to a son. But there was repentance, and God was merciful. But God is concerned about what is in our heart. You know, the, the, the gift of a Christian life, the reward of a Christian life, is to gain eternal life. To gain eternal life, to live forever and to reign with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God. But God is not going to give eternal life to a person whose heart is not right and to a person he doesn't know what's in their heart. And that's why we've got to go through trials and tribulations. God is testing us, trying us to find out what is in our heart. Will we obey him or will we reason around his laws and instructions. Let's notice a couple of other, couple of other scriptures. In Psalm uh, 7, verse 9, now this is a theme that runs through the scriptures about how God tests and tries us, examines us is probably a better word. Psalm 7, and verse 9, <clears throat> it says, Oh, let the wickedness of uh, the wicked come to an end, but establish the just... For the righteous God tests hearts and minds. The righteous God. God is the God of righteousness. And you might want to write in your margin here, Psalm 119, verse 172. Psalm 119, verse 172 says, All thy commandments are righteousness. God is a, a God of righteousness. And he tests and examines the hearts and minds of us to see whether or not we will follow those commandments and live by his instructions. He wants to find out what we're made of, whether we'll do those things or not. And that, again, is a lesson that runs through the scriptures. God probes in the examines. He gives us opportunities to make decisions, to see whether or not we'll follow his instructions, do things his way, or whether we're going to do things our way. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 3. Proverbs 17 and verse 3. 
Again, this is an aspect that is not talked about that much. God is loving and understanding and forgiving and all these things, which he is. But there's also another dimension. Verse 3, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold to burn off the impurities. But the Lord tests the hearts. The Lord tests the hearts. And the word means examines, discerns. Uh, Sometimes we get into circumstances and situations that are very trying, where our faith will be tried and tested. But God is allowing that because he wants to see what decisions we're going to make. Will we obey him or will we do our own thing? The refining pot is for silver, the furnace for gold. As we heard in the sermonette, God wants to see us building with gold and with silver and precious stones and not wood, hay, and stumble, things that burn up, that are not based on solid ground. Let me just mention a number of examples quickly that show how God tests and tries the heart and the mind. You're familiar with the story in Genesis chapter 2 of Adam and Eve. They were put in the garden, and they were told, you can eat of any tree that you want, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're not to eat of that, and in the day that you eat of that, you're going to die. It was very plain. You got the whole garden, but this one tree, again, it's symbolic of two ways of life, but he says, in the day, you're going to die if you eat it. So what did they do? They had to test it out. Well, does God really know what he's talking about? Satan came along and said, God's keeping good things from you. Here, look at this. (laughs) It's lovely. Smell it. It's got a beautiful aroma. Taste it. Just a bite. Again, this is symbolic things. But what did they do? They didn't obey. They should have said, Adam should have said, God told us we can't do that. Satan, get out of here. But apparently he stood in the background. And Satan worked on Eve. Tell them. Tell them it's okay. Tell them you took a bite. You didn't die. And one of our philosophy professors in college, first day of class, walked into class. We noticed there was a Bible sitting on the the desk. And I thought, well, this is going to be an interesting class because he's got a Bible. He picked up the Bible. said, you guys know what this is? Yeah, it's a Bible. Threw it across the room into the trash can. He said, see, no lightning. No lightning. What he was demonstrating was, look what I can do and get away with. There ain't no God. He was undermining the faith of everybody that was in that room. Back to Adam and Eve very quickly. They were given instructions to do something or not to do something. But they didn't listen. They reasoned in their own mind, well, we, we can probably do that. Maybe God is trying to hide something from us. And they lost out big time. They lost out big time because their heart was not to obey God. It was kind of, well, we can reason, we can do things, we can think for ourselves. Very dangerous way to go. In Genesis chapter 12, quickly, let's look at that. And again, as we heard in the sermonette, these promises were conditional. These promises were conditional to the people that God worked with, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the Israelites. And as we will understand, I think, even us today, 
I remember talking with a chaplain one time in a hospital, and uh, I forget what the, the, the nature of it was, but he kind of looked at me and said, wouldn't it be nice to know that you have it made? I said, you know, that'd be nice, but even the Apostle Paul didn't know that he had it made. <laughs> now, Paul was very confident, but he also realized he could slip. He realized he could slip, and he had to stay focused. Genesis chapter 12, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house. This was the condition. I want you to leave home, leave your family, leave your roots, and go to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great. You shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And in you, or through you, and through your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God kept his part of that bargain. And it has been through the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that the world has been blessed. But again, the condition was based on obedience. And when we begin to disobey God as individuals or as nations, these blessings are going to be withdrawn. And that's what we're seeing happening today. See, these promises are conditional. Abram had to leave. Just as many of you have had to leave, family, friends, whatever, to begin to live a different way of life. Not because we're any better, but because God has called people to prepare them to reign with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God. But the point is, these things were conditional. We see Abraham's actions in verse 4. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. He was gone. He trusted God. He believed God. He obeyed God. Genesis 17, verse 1. 25 years later, God was still working with Abraham. Abraham was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Be perfect. Walk before me and be blameless. Obey my instructions. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 5.48. To become perfect. Some people are being told today, well, you can't become perfect. Everybody knows that. Jesus lived a perfect life for you, so all you have to do is accept Jesus. No, we have to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. The word perfect means to become spiritually mature where you understand the scriptures, you learn how to apply them. As we just read in Ecclesiastes 8.5, a wise person discerns what's right and what's wrong. And if that wisdom is based on the laws of God, the instructions of God, it's going to benefit in big ways. Genesis 22. I think sometimes we skip over one of these critical words in the verse. This is where Abraham and Sarah were given a child. And then God asked Abraham to offer that child as a sacrifice. Why was he asked to do that? Verse 1 of chapter 2. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. God was testing Abraham. He had called Abraham with the intentions of making him the father of the faithful through whom all these promises would come. But he had to know what was in Abraham's heart. He had to know. Just as he has to know what's in your heart 
and in my heart. Do we play games? We play games with God, play games with His Word. God wants to see what's in our hearts just as He did with Abraham. This runs through the Scriptures. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. It's interesting just to look at this account. You know, he was told to uh, offer a sacrifice and burnt offering on, in the land of Moriah. He rose early, verse 3, the next morning. He didn't argue. He could have said, God, you know, we've waited so long for this son, and now you're going to take him away. God, please don't do that. I'm going to fast and pray for three or four weeks to see if you'll change your mind. He was gone the next day. In verse 7, Isaac, he was probably, you know, the commentaries say maybe 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. You know, when my kids were that age, I don't know whether I could have tied them up and laid them on an altar. <laughs> they would have probably tied me up. <laughs> Dad, I love you, but you're older than I am. You probably ought to go here first. <laughs> Now, there was some sort of a relationship between Abraham and Isaac where Isaac apparently let him do that. And he asked here in verse 7, he said, Look, uh, here's the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the offering? And Abraham's response was, My son, God will provide for himself a lamb. And then he ties him up, lays him on an altar. God sees what's in his heart that Abraham would obey him and he said, look in the bushes, there's a lamb over there. God was testing Abraham to find out whether or not he would obey God. And God found out what he needed to find out. You and I will be tested in various ways. So God can see what is in our heart. Because like the song title is, he's looking into your heart. And he can read our hearts. We can't play games with God. <laughs> Exodus 16, God continues these things with the Israelites. As Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 10, these things are in the Scriptures for our admonition today on whom the ends of the world are coming. Exodus 16 is talking about the, uh, the Sabbath. God revealed the Sabbath to the Israelites before the uh, giving of the law at Mount Sinai. In Exodus 16, in verse uh, 4 and 5, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven. They were complaining about not having enough to eat. And the people shall go out and gather certain quota every day, that I may test them, examine them, probe in their minds, whether they will walk in my laws or not. And that was one of the reasons God revealed the Sabbath early said, you're going to get manna on six days. It's not going to be in on the seventh day. You need to get a double portion on the sixth day to teach a lesson. And he said, I'm testing them to see whether or not they will walk in my law. In verse 20, it says, Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it stank, and then others went out to gather uh, uh, manna on the seventh day, on the Sabbath. Down in verse 28. The Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? <laughs> Why aren't you following my instructions? I told you there's not going to be any on the seventh day. See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. 
Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. So finally, it says the people rested, verse 30, on the Sabbath. But God was testing the Israelites. These were the Israelites he wanted to, he was going to make his covenant with to be his special people, to be a kingdom of priests, to be an example to the world. But he had to know, are they going to do it my way or are they going to go off and do it their own way? They refused to obey, and then they had to reap the consequences. I'm teaching a class in Old Testament survey this semester, and it's been very interesting, some of the lessons that are good to review. In the book of Judges, in the book of Joshua, it describes the uh, taking over the promised land according to the promises that God had made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Joshua dies. People begin to do things their own way. They didn't drive the inhabitants of Canaan out. And God said, if you don't drive them out, they're going to be a snare to you. Their religion is going to pull you in. Their religious practices are going to attract you. You know, the Canaanite women are going to say, hey, guys, come on over. We have more interesting services than you do. We do some wild things over here, which they did. And that was the very reason God said they have to go. They'll come up in second resurrection. But God knew what was going to happen. But notice the latter part here of Judges chapter 2. They didn't drive out the Canaanites. In some cases, they said, well, no, we're going to keep them around. We're going to enslave them. We're going to use them. See, well, we have another solution. That was not God's solution. So God told them, verse 21, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. I'm going to leave some of these people. I'm not going to drive them out ahead of you. I'm going to let them stay. And that's going to be a test for you. Whether you will follow their ways, which involve prostitution, involved child sacrifice, all kinds of things. Totally perverted religious system. And the Israelites were attracted by those things and began to do those things. Verse 23, Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them. See, God left those people with their perverted religion, and the Israelites got involved. You know, the same thing is happening today. We've had over, what, 300 groups come out of the Worldwide Church of God. God didn't strike everybody with lightning. They're there. And all you have to do is peruse the Internet, and you will find all kinds of interesting ideas. It's not just groups that came out of the Worldwide Church of God. There are all kinds of churches advertising on the Internet. And they have attractive things, interesting things. I remember we were looking for a church hall down in Georgia one time. And we had looked at a number. We went into this one particular hall, and the guy said, "Uh, so you want to rent our hall, your religious group. Do you do anything interesting? And the fellow I was with, he says, what do you, what do you mean interesting? He says, uh, well, 
you know, uh, play with snakes or anything like that, you know? <laughs> he says, no, we don't play with snakes like that. There was a group here last week, and they were jumping through a candle or jumping over a candle. He said, we don't jump over candles either. <laughs> but there's all kinds of interesting things that you'll find on the Internet. Some will give you rebates for attending their church and uh, do all kinds of things like that. Uh, you know, the temptations are still there. I think this is why Paul mentions in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, where he says, prove all things, examine everything, especially what you're going to believe. Look into it, nail it down. Is it the truth or is it a, a neat little argument? Prove all things and hold fast to those things that prove to be right and true. You know, I think one of the reasons people have disappeared from the churches of God is they never really nailed things down. They never really proved things to themselves. Again, I've used this example before, but a guy that I roomed with in Ambassador College went out, became a minister, got involved with some of the new truth that was being revealed. People in his congregation came up and said, how can you preach what you once proved was not true? And he kind of fumbled and said, well, you know, I, I, I didn't prove everything. I didn't prove everything. So when new and interesting arguments came along and your paycheck was on the line, well, you know, as one guy told me, well, we just added a new... Uh, uh, wing to our house. I, I don't want to say things that are too controversial because I might get fired and I won't be able to pay for this edition. I thought, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. See, we've got to prove things. We've got to nail things down. We are going to be tested. People are going to be tested doctrinally. They'll be tested morally. They'll be tested on a lot of things. Because God wants to see what we're made of. He needs to know what we're made of before he gives us a gift of eternal life. Because once that happens, then you've got eternal life. And he doesn't want any more Satans on hand. Psalm 11, verse 4. Psalm 11 and verse 4. Actually, several verses beyond that, too. <clears throat> again, comes back to this theme that we find in the Scriptures that is also mentioned in 1 Corinthians 3, as we heard in the sermonette. Psalm 11, verse 5. <clears throat> in fact, let's start in verse 4. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold and His eyelids test the sons of men. God is watching. I think there's a song like that, but God is watching. God notices, but he's noticing for reasons. He wants to give us eternal life. He wants to reward us with opportunities to reign with Jesus Christ, but he's got to know how we think. You know, are we concerned about obeying him or not? His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous. You might think, well, look, I've been a good person. Why is he doing this to me? <laughs> Abraham was a good person. Abraham was tested. Job was a righteous person. Job was tested. You know, Paul was righteous. Paul was tested. 
The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire, and brimstone, and burning wind. This shall be the portion of their cup. They're going to reap what they've sown. For the Lord is righteous. Again, in your margin, jot it down. Psalm 119, verse 172. The Lord is righteous. You know, the commandments of God reflect the mind of God. God is the one that said it's wrong to kill, it's wrong to steal, it's wrong to lust, it's wrong to envy, it's wrong to commit adultery, it's wrong to do those things. God says those things. And God also says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Don't make any graven images to me. You don't do those things. God is a righteous God. He's concerned about his laws and his, his instructions. He loves righteousness. That's what God loves. And all his commandments are righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. God keeps his eye on those people that fear him and want to do things his way. This is what God is concerned about. This is what he's, he's focusing on. His eyes behold the righteous. You know, we need to set our hearts on becoming righteous, to love God's commandments, to want to do things God's way. Now, is this just Old Testament teaching? No. Let's go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. <clears throat> In the first chapter of James is really quite interesting. You read it and you kind of scratch your head. Beginning in verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all a joy when you fall into various trials. Count it a joy? <laughs> trials? A joy? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. See, our, tempt <laughs> our tendency when we're tried is to let them have it right between the eyes. Don't let them push you around. Don't let them say those things about you. But God says the testing of your faith produces patience. The only time you build patience is when you don't want to be patient. <laughs> then you have to build patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, spiritually mature, lacking nothing. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally, but ask in faith, not wavering back and forth. But in James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, blessed is the man or blessed is the person who endures temptation. You stand firm. You don't waver. You don't compromise when temptations come along. No, I can't do that. No, I'm not going to do that. And then you get out of there. <laughs> Feet, get me out of here. So you flee temptation as opposed to, well, I, I want to see if I can endure this temptation a little bit more. <laughs> Blessed is the person who endures, stands firm during temptation. Now, this may be moral temptations. It may be doctrinal temptations. Well, everybody's doing it, and God will understand. And besides, I'm not doing it for pagan reasons. I got a letter back from this article that's in the current uh, Tomorrow's World magazine on return to Rome. And a gentleman wrote in with all kinds of reasons why we were wrong or why I was wrong in that article. And he said, you know, we don't keep Christmas for pagan reasons. 
He said the church gave people an alternative to the pagan customs. Well, he doesn't even know his own church's teaching. They came up with an alternative, giving Christmas a, 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 a Christian name, giving the Roman Saturnalia a Christian name, in order to enhance or facilitate their conversion. You can keep your custom, just give it a different name. You can do what you've done always at this time of year. We'll just give it a different name. No, it's deceitful. The alternative to the Saturnalia is not Christmas. The biblical alternative is the Holy Days. See, when you keep Christmas, even if you don't keep it for pagan reasons, you have no understanding of the plan of God. The alternative comes from the Scriptures as the Holy Days, which keep us mindful of the plan of God. Very interesting. But these are New Testament teachings that God is testing us, as we read in 1 Corinthians 3. God is testing us to see what we're building. I remember my oldest son, he'd come into my office every once in a while and say, Dad, what are you building? Where I was studying. What are you building, Dad? What are you building? What is God looking for in our hearts? What is God really looking for? What does he want to see in our hearts? Not only what does he want to see, what does God require of us in our hearts? 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. You know, the couple of chapters here in 1 Samuel talk about Saul and David, contrasting their characters, contrasting their approaches, uh, contrasting how they acted and thought. You know, Saul was made the first king of Israel. He was tall, he was handsome, he was commanding in appearance, but he didn't have the character that God needed and that God wanted. Samuel was told to anoint David as king. In verse 7, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, and this was after Samuel came to Jesse, David's father, and wanted to meet all his sons. So the father carts out the oldest son, the next oldest son. And apparently these were big strapping guys. And God says, No, there's somebody else. In verse 7, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I've refused him, talking about one of the older sons, brothers of David. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God looks on our heart. He wants to see what's in our heart. In Acts 13, verse 22, maybe just jot this in your margin of your Bible here. It says, David was a man after God's own heart. David sinned, David made mistakes, but when David realized what he'd done, he repented heartfeltly. David was a man after God's own heart. We need to become, and David is held up as an example for us, whether we're men or women. What was David's heart like? I would encourage you to read through Psalm 119 and think about what you're reading. This was David's perspective. These were David's priorities. David is going to rule over the 12 tribes of Israel in the coming kingdom of God. This is the mind of the man that God molded and fashioned to lead Israel, the nations of Israel in the coming kingdom of God. Psalm 119, let's just look at several verses through the psalm. 
But read it, think about it. And this is a man who is, God says, is a man after my own heart. He has my perspective. His priorities are in line with mine. Verse 1, blessed are the undefiled or the blameless in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. The word blessed means to be envied. To be envied is the person who's blameless, who walks in the law of the Lord. The law of of God was not a big problem for David. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart. God, I want to do things your way. Show me your way. Down in verse 12, it said, Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Show me from your word how you want me to live. Teach me your statutes. Verse 16, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. See, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. It's the beginning of understanding, doing things God's way. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may see the wondrous things from your law. David wasn't arguing with the law of God. Well, it's done away with, it's outdated, we don't need to worry about it anymore. This is the man who's going to reign in the coming kingdom of God. God, show me the wondrous things in your law. Why you have given the instructions that you've given about diet, about health, about economics, all kinds of things. Verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts, and I shall meditate on your wondrous works. In other words, show me, teach me, help me learn. Verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. And I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law. Verse 35, make me walk in the path of your commandments. This was David's mindset. Verse 97, we sing this as one of our songs. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all day. Even here in Charlotte, we get so busy sometimes with our routines. Got to do this, got to do that, got to do this. Maybe we need to take more time to meditate. Now, David wasn't walking around contemplating his navel you know, all day long and just singing psalms or whatever. He was a busy man. But when issues came up, I think what he did was, how would God solve this? What principles are in the Bible to guide me in making this decision? Oh, how I love your laws, my meditation all day long. You, through your commandments, have made me wiser than my enemies. Yeah, I know the world says to do it this way, but your book says to do it that way. And this is the way I'm going to do it. Verse 100, I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I'm using your book as a guideline. 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You ever get up in the middle of the night, have to go to the bathroom, and you can't see anything? Yeah, that's a major operation. You you stub your toe in the bed, you bump into a wall, you trip over this or that. But if you have just a little bit of light, you flip on your cell phone. (laughs) And it's just enough to see. And David says, "Your, your word is a lamp to my feet. It shows me how to live. Tells me what to do, tells me what not to do. Verse 127, Therefore I love your commandments more than gold. Yes, more than fine gold. If somebody offered you a Bible or a bar of gold, what would you take? 
if you're wise, you'll take the book, and then you'll inherit some gold later. <laughs> you take the gold, you, if you forget the book, you're going to lose big time. But these are things we find in the Scriptures. What is God looking for? We could you know, look at a number of things. Let's look at one other Scripture in Deuteronomy, just to show this was what God was talking about from the very beginning. He talked about these things to uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He talked about these things to ancient Israel. Jesus mentions the same things in the New Testament. What is God looking for? Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Beginning in verse 12. Now Moses is telling this to the second generation of the Israelites that came out of Israel. They saw their parents die in the wilderness. And he's trying to orient them, focus them in the right direction. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord require of you? It's not that, now, Israelites, this would be nice if you would try and do these things. Now, the phrase is, this is what God requires of you. You want to be a kingdom of priests? You want to be a special people? This is the condition. But to fear the Lord your God... Not, not, you know, trembling in, in fear in a corner over there. Oh, God's going to get me. No, you fear God. You don't want to play games with God. You don't, you don't want to compromise his laws or his instructions. What does God require? To fear the Lord your God. Walk in all his ways. Abraham was told the same thing. You were to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Same thing. To walk in all his ways. To love him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And as John repeats then in 1 John, I think it's 5, verses 2 and 3, that my commandments are not grievous. They're not a burden. See, they're a light to your path. To love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart. God, I want to do things your way. I don't want to do it my way. Keep me from making a mistake. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. For your good. You know, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't do all those things. Remember the Sabbath. You don't, don't compromise those things. These things run through the scriptures. Final couple of scriptures to look at. Now, I can remember growing up in a Protestant church and hearing people saying, you know, I just pray every day that God would show me what his will is. Well, God reveals his will in the scriptures. It's really quite plain. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2. Now, these three scriptures run together. You might want to copy them down, put them on your refrigerator, put them on your mirror in the bathroom that you look at every day. This is what God wants to see in our hearts. Isaiah 66 and verse 2, the latter part of that verse. But on this one will I look, or on this person will I look, and look favorably on him or her who is poor. Now with 40K, 401K, things disappearing, this is probably a lot of us. He's not talking about that. On this one will I look, one who is poor. The word means humble, humble, lowly. Depressed in the sense all the hot air is gone. You're not interested in doing it your way anymore. That type of person who's humble, 
of a contrite spirit. That's a broken spirit. One of the song titles we talked about was a broken heart. Where you're not interested in doing it your way anymore. A repentant person. God, show me the way I need to go. You you can go back and read Psalm 51. David says, wash me off, clean me up, point me in the right direction, and I will teach people your way. He said, against you and you only have I sinned. David was repentant from the heart. A contrite heart and one who trembles at my word. God says, remember the Sabbath. Well, we don't need to remember it. You know, we can keep any day as a Sabbath. It's not what he said. (laughs) He didn't say remember every day as the Sabbath. He said, remember the Sabbath day. Remember the example of the Israelites that didn't think it was important. And they went out on the Sabbath day and there was nothing there because God was testing them just as we are being tested today. But we need to tremble at God's word. God says, do this, don't do that. He's not trying to live our lives for us. He's given us instructions and he wants us to make conscious decisions. I'm not doing it that way because God says, don't do it that way. Isaiah 66 and verse 2, Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. Again, as Mr. Armstrong used to mention from time to time, he said, you know, God repeats things in the scriptures that are important so that we don't forget them. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. What does God desire? What does he want to see in our hearts? He says, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Where you're merciful to people. You know, we've talked over the years about being shepherds and not sheriffs. You're not being hard on people but being merciful on people. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. You know, some people think, well, God's pleased if we just go to church. No, he says, I need a knowledge of God, a knowledge of God's way, a knowledge of God's plan and purpose. That's what he's looking for. And that knowledge is to be found in the Scriptures. A third Scripture, Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. And virtually all these scriptures basically say the same thing. And I will get to Micah eventually. Micah 6 and verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Not kind of, you know, this will be nice if you kind of move in this direction. No, it's what does the Lord require of you to do justly? You know, these fellows that were heads of corporations that have gone under recently, they were making $17,000 an hour, making billions of dollars when other people in the world are going hungry because the price of, of rice and the price of wheat have doubled or tripled and they're living on $2 a day. And how some people can walk away with a a golden parachute worth billions of dollars? That's not justice. That's injustice. And God is a just God who's going to straighten out these situations. And he's looking for other people that want to straighten out these situations because they think like he does. What does the Lord require of you to do justly, to love mercy, 
and to walk humbly with your God. I want to do things God's way because I tremble at His Word. We could go through a number of New Testament Scriptures, but let's just look at one. In Matthew 26, verse 39. Matthew 26, verse 39. These were Jesus' thoughts. This is what was on His heart the night before He was crucified. And this is where we have got to come to as Christians, where our heart is going to be the same as His with God. Here Jesus was praying about what was coming. He knew He was going to give His life. That was part of the plan on the cross the next day. And it appears He was wrestling with Himself. God, can't we do it another way? You mean we're really going to have to go through with this? Read the verse. Verse 39, he went a little bit further, fell on his face and prayed, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. If it's possible, could we do it another way? But his conclusion was, But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. We've got to come to that place in our life, too, where we're willing to say, God, not my will. I want to do it your way. I want you to guide me. I want my heart to be right with you. As we prepare for the feast, and we're preparing right now for next year, will you be the same person next year who came to the feast this year? Or will you strive to be a different person next year? To work with your heart and ask God to work with your heart. To make my heart of stone or make my rebellious heart a heart of gold. A heart that's focused on God's way, that trembles at His word. That wants to be pleasing in God's sight. And we become pleasing in God's sight whenever we do things God's way. Look into your heart. What do you see? Ask God to look into your heart and ask Him to show you what He sees so that He can mold you and fashion you and that we can become more like God so that He can use us as part of His plan and part of His purpose.